Hello, everybody. Here we are, the next episode. We are sitting with, on Twitter, Arminian Better. Um, he is a professional sports better and professional NFT investor. Welcome, man. Thank you for having me. The What's NFT pro. The NFT pro. The sup duck collector. Sup, 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 sup. <laughs> sup, sup, sup. What's going on, man? Right. How are you? Good, good. How about you guys? Living life, man. One day at a time. One day at a time, yeah. Um, so, I think we normally like to start some of these things off just getting an idea of you know who you are, what kind of got you into the industry, and kind of how you got to where you're at now. So talk a little bit about your, your upbringing and your, um, your start. Man, what a story, huh? <laughs> um, moved, moved to Las Vegas when I was like 12 or so. Um, spent most of my, I mean, all of my high school and junior high here. Uh, I, had the, I had the pleasure of being neighbors with Marshall as a kid, uh, he lived across the street from me, so we became really good friends. Um, and um, I guess starting from high school, I kind of like always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh-huh. Um, one of my first jobs was with Marshall. Uh, we worked a Halloween haunted house and <laughs> we were selling Christmas trees uh, on a Christmas tree lot. And then, How old uh, were you guys? This was like... My haunted House was 14, I think. Yeah, 13. 14, 15. Yeah. I wasn't even in high school yet. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And then one of my, my first stint of like doing my own business type thing was um, I was buying sneakers from China. I found a website. <laughs> this is back in the day when... This is like, like before Alibaba? Yeah, way before <laughs> Alibaba. There was no Alibaba back then. Um, I, I was buying... Like I would buy sneakers in bulk from China and... Uh, they were fake. They were fake Jordans, and everybody that bought them from me knew what they were. Uh, but I, I remember I would go. I would go to school. Uh, this was high school, like probably like tenth, eleventh grade, because I was already driving by then. <laughs> and um, I would come to school, and I had this binder with like just pages on pages on pages of like pictures of shoes. A fake J's. Yeah, and we would just like pass them around. We would pass it around at lunch, and guys would like put their orders. And I want this, I want that. They I must have been this. like really good copies, like good fakes. Yeah, the thing is, is like back then they they had like so many different colors that didn't exist on the real one. So ah, people gotcha. wanted the colors sense. that didn't exist. So like guys would be like, oh, I want this, I want that, and then I would just like I would put the money up. I would order like ten, twenty of them at a time. Wow. The box would come in, and then I would go to school and. Just unload. Where, where did you, you know, a lot of a lot of our the guys that, that are coming up in the industry, they're always trying to find like, like oh, I want to get into a product. I want to sell a product. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always looking for an idea. Yeah. I mean, to be so young and to figure out, like, obviously you knew the market, but how did you make contacts in China? What did you do? Uh, honestly, it was just like Googling, finding a website, and then you like, because you could buy them individually one by one, but then you can also inquire for wholesale. And gotcha. I, was, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. I wonder how much... I could get these for. Yeah. They were like, well, if you buy 20 of them, you can get it for this much. It takes mean, a lot of balls at that age, though. Yeah, because, I mean, you, I mean, it's 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 honestly, like, at, at that age, like, you're oblivious to it, but, like, it's counterfeit product. Right. Know, customs could seize Customs that, and then you just shit. lose your money. Yeah, nothing, yeah. Um, or kids could flake, and they could say, oh, I wanted it, but I don't want it anymore, which did end up happening. Right. Or they would send, they would send, like, uh, the wrong orders or the wrong size, you know, you order stuff from China, the kind of stuff happens, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's probably, um, like, a great, like, in, in, like, early lesson. 
on like really basic bin, like business principles. Like what you just talked about, like I can think of like five or six things that they teach in business classes mm-hmm. yeah. that you just dealt with firsthand, yeah. like people canceling on contracts or incorrect, you know, supply order flow or like, I mean, dealing with, you know, a distributor being yeah. flaky or, or customs issues, importing, export. There's like mm-hmm. tons of so like things that you wouldn't expect that business to teach you, but it looks like it taught you a lot early on. Yeah, a little bit, but I was like so brief, you know, I was, I was basically like flipping those and then taking my profits and then just spending it on real sneakers and I was just like <laughs> not buying, not, like not, I'm not buying like, that fake shit. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like doing anything really like productive with it. It was just like a, as a kid, a way to like get stuff that you like. So <laughs> I did that. And then, you know, and I think it was like 11th grade, I started working. I worked in restaurants for a long time. I worked in restaurants for almost 10 years throughout high school, throughout college. Were you um, doing any side hustles during that time? I mean, it sounds like you had entrepreneurship early. So were you like doing some hustles while you were working in F&B or no? I was always like, so I had always had interest in sports betting, um, but I never really did anything like seriously back then. Gotcha. Um, my my kind of like plan at that point, like in high school was at the time my dad was trading stocks and he and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. I just knew from like seeing my parents Uh, go through their you know financial situation growing up that's like I wanted to control my own situation yeah my dad always just like instilled that in me he would always say like don't work for these motherfuckers just (laughs) be be your own boss do so yeah work for yourself and I was like well what do I do he goes let's go go to college get a degree in finance and then I'll teach you how to trade stocks so that was kind of like all right that's my roadmap so that's awesome that's kind of what my plan was I was working at Tao um, at the Venetian at the time as a that's a nightclub here in Vegas right nightclub and restaurant I was on the restaurant side Um, so I was a food runner making way too much money for my age (laughs) and blowing all of it honestly I wasn't I wasn't investing at that point in time I didn't really have that mindset I was like how old were you I started working there when I was like 15, 16. I was the youngest employee there. Wow. Making like 60, 70, 80 grand a year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, no rent, no, no bills, no nothing. I was just like, I was spending all my money on like clothes, sneakers, going out, having fun, enjoying myself. Um, but obviously like when you're young, when you're in your youth and you first started working, like you haven't gotten frustrated yet. Right. Nothing's happened. You, the, the, the struggles of life haven't hit you yet. So you're just like, oh, I'll just spend my money on whatever. I don't really want to think about, you know, investing or trying to make more. Um, I kind of like at that point, I kind of like took a step back on the entrepreneurial side because I kind of had this. Um, like I had this oasis where like I was like, oh, I'm making good money at the time. I was like, oh, this is good money. Yeah, You were comfortable. Yeah, exactly. I was comfortable. So. Um, I went to college, I got my degree in finance, um, I started trading stocks with my dad and at the time I was just doing both. So I had a, you remember my blue BMW, um, I sold that, I took the money from that, I got a cheaper car and then all the other money that I had saved and I put it in my trading account. I got my series 56 license and all that stuff and my dad and I were trading. He was already for, trading. For those who are listening who maybe don't know what that is, can you tell me what a Series 56 is? It's just the license that allows you to do proprietary trading, like not like Robinhood. Because when you trade on Robinhood and, and sites like that, mm-hmm. like E-Trade and stuff, the transaction cost is very high. Right. But when you have a license, you can go to a firm and that firm will give you buying power, which is like 
essentially leverage. So like mm -hmm. whatever money you put in there, they'll give you almost like 20 times that amount to trade, depending on your trading strategy. Gotcha. If it's risky, they'll give you less. If it's uh, pretty conservative. conservative, they'll give you more leverage. Gotcha. But um, it comes with a cost, right? You got to pay interest. You got to pay overnight carry costs. So you have to overcome that and make money for yourself. For um, it to make sense. Yeah, exactly. So we did that for a little while. I was doing that and working in restaurants. So I would work, I would trade stocks Monday through Friday from 6 a.m. to like 1.30 p.m. And then I would go work in the restaurant from 4.30 till like midnight, 1 a.m. And I would do that five, six days a week. Work in a restaurant on the weekends mostly, have a couple of days off in the middle of the week. We did that. Um, so when, when and why did that end? It's a good question. Um, we, we made a little bit of money. My first year I made some money, um, but we just struggled. I think the trading strategy was just not a sound strategy. Um, well, I remember this was around the time of like people had more access to, like access to bots. I remember having conversations where you felt like computers were trading faster than, than Yeah, even. I mean, and today it's like taken over. So basically the, the stock market is controlled by the massive hedge funds. Yeah. Right. There was um, a big thing of a huge article recently. Well, oh, there's a big scandal with Robinhood having issues with trading flow because of that, right? Like, yeah. So I mean, a lot of the a lot of the trades that occur in the stock market are not even done by people like you or I. It's right. done by computer computer algorithms. Right. So um, these firms, they're called high frequency trading firms. They go, they hire guys from MIT, like the sharpest computer programmers, and they basically create computer algorithms that just do trading at like nanoseconds right like the time that it takes for me to send an order in computer has executed a thousand trades in That's one insane. second it's crazy <laughs> there's a video on youtube that shows like how many trades can occur in one second fraction wow. of a second fraction yeah. of a second yeah wow. so it was just kind of like Playing chess with a computer is very, very hard to beat it. Yeah, there are definitely some people who can make money in the stock market. Um, and there are there are strategies um, that you can win at. It's just something that we weren't really successful at. Right. A lot of frustration. Um, you know. How long that, did you do that for before you got to the point where you're just like, yeah, I got to move on? About a couple years. Okay. Did that for a couple years. And I mean... Well, it was a different time, too. I mean, yeah, if you remember... Yeah, 2012. I mean, we're still we're trying to recover from the uh, the economic collapse in right. 2008. Yeah. yeah. It was a different world for the stock market back then. It was an, a, a true bear market. Yeah. yeah. And and we're in the complete opposite now where everybody thinks they're a genius yeah. in the market. Yeah. In the dot-com <laughs> bubble, you, you throw a penny. Right. <laughs> it's going to turn into gonna turn into millions gold. Everyone's billions. a genius. Yeah. 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 So uh, the, the, real, the real smart guys are are the ones who can make money in a bad market. Oh, 100%. So you do that for a little bit, and then what's next? We we walked away from it. I mean, my dad was doing it for like 15 years almost. Wow. Um, and he was like, it's just not working. And it was kind of a tough pill to swallow because I had gone to school with the like mindset, like, this is what I'm going to do right. for the rest yeah. of my life. Like, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. So... I left that and I find myself back in restaurants and my nightmare was, you know, being a 40 year old restaurant employee and not finding my way out. Um, so I'm back in restaurants, back at square one, um, just kind of a down point at yeah, that point, sure. not knowing really what direction I want to go, what I want to do, um, you know, making enough to live, but mm -hmm. you know, not really like 
breakthrough. And is that when you found insurance or yeah, that's or something the, okay. a little bit like right after I stopped trading stocks. Um, someone I worked with was like, "Hey, you know, uh, you have a degree in finance. This is right up your alley. You could make really good money selling insurance, life insurance, health insurance, um, all that stuff. You know, you could build your own business, hire agents and train them, develop them underneath you. They sell something, you can, you know, get a percentage of their sale." And then you can make residuals, especially with like Medicare. There's a mm. lot of guys making really good money selling Medicare. Yeah, great residual money there. Very good residual money. Um, I did that for a little while. Wasn't very successful at it. Um, why? Why do you think that was? Because you, you, you've I've only known you a short time about. now, and you like you strike me as a very social person. So it seems like that'd be an easy industry for you. Nobody likes talking about dying, <laughs> and that's really what life insurance is. You know, you kind of like pump fear into people. Not really pump fear into people, but you you pluck on those heartstrings. You know, you okay. you th- th- that's how you get because people don't really like jump. Oh wow! I want to get life insurance. It's something you're paying money for that you're not going to get to see the benefit of. Right, it's somebody for, else does. It's for somebody else. So, um, you know, it's 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 a difficult sell. It's not on. It's not impossible. Obviously, there's many people who do very well in life insurance. Right. Um, I just wasn't one of them. And I think the bigger thing is is that I just didn't enjoy it. Sure. I didn't. You like have it. to enjoy it. Yeah. I didn't like it. Um, I was kind of a bad point. I was like driving Uber at the same time and I was just like in a suit driving Uber and I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, Just kind of like, again, kind of circle back to like the way I was feeling right after I was done trading stocks. And, you know, I would talk to Marshall a lot on the phone. This is, he was in Florida and he was like, dude, maybe you just need a change of pace. Right. Maybe you just need to get out of Vegas for a get out of Vegas (laughs) for a little while. Vegas just isn't good for you uh, right now because I wasn't really doing anything productive. Right. Um, and he was like, why don't you come to Florida? I'm starting with this solar company. You can make really good money. He goes, you know, just just come check it out. What do you got to lose? Sure. You have nothing tying you down. And I was like, all right, why not? <laughs> I'll come check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I flew out. I actually stayed with him and his family for a couple weeks. Um, they took good care of me. Uh, just kind of got a chance to see what... The Florida life was like Florida, the Florida, the Florida Back life. Back in Orlando, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, uh, before we get to that, you guys. I mean, you guys have been great friends for years. I mean, almost yeah. basically yeah. growing up together. So, yeah. while he's going through all this, you know, as somebody that's really close to him, kind of witnessing the cycle. Uh, I know we've talked about your story on prior podcasts. You were going through similar situations mm-hmm. also with, yeah, you know, building business and failing, or coming straight out of the Marines and not really knowing how to find your place and. Did you guys talk a lot about, you know, the similarities about the position that you were in? Or did you guys kind of counsel each other through what's going on in these 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 times? Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, um, depending on the time period, um, one thing about us, we've always had the same like goal. Right. We're both entrepreneurs. We both wanted to, you know, have our end goal in life would be uh, very similar. Make you that know. pyramid mommy money. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so that's something that we've always had in common together. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, whenever, you know, he would call and then check, check on me. I'd, you know, we'd bounce ideas off. Um, it, it was always nice to have another, you know, person um, unrelated to the industry that I was in, you know, sure. to, to bounce ideas off of and, and chat with. And, and there was plenty of times he called me, like, saying, man, I'm so tired of this damn restaurant. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Show me the way. Yeah. I actually just remembered something. Remember right before you moved, 
we were going to do that uh, uh, organic food vending machine yeah. thing. We mm -hmm. had gone to a meeting. We were, I, just, I just remembered about that. I yeah. totally forgot about that. Wait a second. I have to hear about this. <laughs> you <laughs> tell the story. Organic food vending machine? What? Yeah. That um, does not sound like something you'd be into, Marshall. Yeah, it was something that actually came from uh, uh, my boss at the time uh, for the... For the stim units, when I was doing wholesale for stim units, he right. had, he had brought a contact in that was getting into like organic food, and then the discussion turned into actually uh, you know buying or investing into uh, vending machines, but it was going to be all organic options. And keep in mind, this is back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think anything happened because mainly the supply fell through. I don't think when I caught when I got time to really do a lot of due diligence and and and. You know, put the the tire to the road, per se. Um, it just kind of fell through. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, we we I mean, hell, you you called me when you were sewing the sneakers. I remember you wanting. Uh, we we're talking about opening a damn sneaker store. Yeah. Which you in know, hindsight could have been a great thing. Yeah, sneaker but now, stores have but taken it's off. so funny because now we see them everywhere. And yeah. I remember this was sneaker what, You were way early with that idea. Well, my my big idea at the time, but I didn't have the resources to execute it. Um, was just to like create an app. Like how there is yeah. now with Fucking gold a. and stock yeah. X. Yeah, I mean, it took off. Now. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Uh, but yeah, but you, I mean, you know, you have to have the resources or at least, you know. Oh, and, go the, all and the confidence, because I think yeah. part of it was resources and like yeah. we didn't have I didn't really think I could, Yeah, I didn't really think that that was something I could execute at the right. time. So, um, so yeah, I, I made the decision. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll come to Florida. What do I got to lose? Solar's cool. How was, how was the solar selling experience for you? Because you did that for a few, like a year, a few years? I did a year in Vegas, and then when I moved back to Vegas, I'm sorry, I did a year in Orlando, uh -huh. and then when I moved back to Vegas, I did it here for about a year, year and a half as well before going full-time into, into the sports Sports betting, betting, yeah. But, I mean, Florida was a really good experience. I think anytime someone has an opportunity to move away from home and yeah. just kind of like you know, step outside of their comfort zone. It's yeah. good. It's obviously not always going to be sunshine and rainbows, True. but, um, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Um, and I already knew going in that I wasn't really a great salesperson, but okay. I wanted to get better. Um, and I remember like we were just in that office and I was just hammering the phones, just calling, 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 calling. <laughs> yes, sir. And then I landed this deal. It was like, a, what was it? A 48, oh, yeah. 44KW yeah. system. It was like $120,000 system. The biggest system sold in the company at that point. I'm wow. sure there was bigger ones sold now. There's, I think there was one other, but it was not not bigger by much. Yeah. My boy, Bo Delaporte. I'll yeah. never forget that guy. That was a guy. <laughs> he left a legacy he was a there. Vet, he was a veterinarian. I went to his house. We were sitting in the backyard and very straightforward and I was just you know beautiful talking. backyard yeah sick yeah. backyard somebody spent a hundred and twenty thousand dollars on cash. solar panels cash cash straight cash let's go boy <laughs> let's go yeah it was cool I mean uh, I really enjoyed we did a lot of trade shows um, you know traveling all over the city I got a chance all over state. the state I got a chance yeah. to see Pretty much all of Florida. That awesome. was cool. Yeah. Some of the negative sides. I mean, I would drive from Orlando to Miami only for someone to be like, yeah, my wife's not here. She makes all the decisions. So <laughs> it's like, here? I drove three hours there and I got to drive three hours back. So it was a lot of up and down. I made good money. Sure. Um, like my first year, like barely knowing anything, you know, yeah. you 
crack nearly six figures, I would say that's not bad. No, of course not. Um, yeah. But again, like I wasn't really like building anything with that. And I was just like, you weren't passionate about it. Yeah, I wouldn't say I was like super passionate about it. I liked solar. I believed in it. I still do. Um, you know, I think it's good for the environment. I think it's good investment if yeah. you're going to stay in a house. But um, I wasn't like turning around and doing anything with it. At the time, I was like, I still had my insurance license. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll start a digital insurance agency. Right. I rem- you remember mm-hmm. I yeah. was doing that. I was still selling some insurance on the side. Um, just basically like my ego was not willing to let go of insurance because I knew that there was money to be made there. And I was like, okay, now that I'm getting better at selling, maybe I'll go back, maybe I'll go back and you know, I can do, I can do some, build something in insurance. Um, but at, at there, there, there came a point in time where I just like accepted the fact that I just didn't enjoy it. Right. Uh, well, we talked, we talked about that in the last, we've actually talked about this a couple of times. It's interesting. This theme keeps coming up. Like, in the situation where you left like Vegas to come to Orlando, right, and, and probably coming somewhere, well, obviously you have a great friend and Marshall that's there, but besides that, you don't have much of a support network, right? So you're kind of just like burning the ships completely. Yeah. You're just like, you know what, fuck it, whatever I'm doing is not working. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to try something new. And then you're taking those experiences and the knowledge that you gained from that, what you learned and, and transferring that into the next step, yeah. you know? And then it sounds like you kind of came to Vegas to do the same thing again. Like, fuck it, I'm burning the ships in Orlando. I'm going to try again with this. Yeah, it was a it was kind of like a turning point because I was like almost a year in, in Orlando and we had a great time. Uh, one of my buddies, other friends from high school had come out as well. And he was my roommate. and He worked mm-hmm. with us at Golden Solar too, JJ. Um, and, you know, we had it was a great year. Like we had a lot of fun. Of course, we would we lived in downtown Orlando. So we would go out and just drink our brains out every <laughs> almost every night. Um, Couldn't escape the Vegas life, huh? Came yeah, but it was just like like. <laughs> we weren't like I wasn't really like building towards anything I was making money and just getting by and that was just kind of like my thing I missed my family I missed home Um, how old were you at this time by the way 27 yeah I think so I asked this question because we have a lot of young listeners and they're always like oh man you know I want to get to where you guys are man I just oh just if I could just get to this level it'd be incredible I'm like you have so much fucking time yeah Yeah. like I mean you're you're 27 at this point and you're still grinding your your wheels basically maybe 10 grand to my name yeah I remember when I was in Florida I just had an envelope and ten thousand dollars and that was like really all I had like stashed savings I was making good money in solar but like it was all just evaporating bills. Well, we say that a lot. It's not about what you make. It's about what you save, right? Yeah. It's about yeah. what you retain. Because you can make shit with the money. Yeah. Yeah. It's about what you keep. So so you get back to Vegas and then, you know, walk us through how, how do you get into sports betting? Because that is really where. Yeah. Like, how did you meet your partner? Right. So I knew my business partner, Harut. I knew him since I was like 18. He was like 15 at the time. Um, we met through the Armenian basketball community uh we played on a team together oh you hoop? um yeah you were a hooper like that i saw the kobe's torn, in here yeah, i torn know. both my acls bro. i'm a hooper <laughs> i paid my dues he said i paid my dues um, see i never tore them i just tell people that's why i can't jump <laughs> like every time you pull up to the court be like right, man man this you can was still okay. jump you'll I, still be able to jump I, i've dunked after my acl tear before oh shit actually well, but then, then that's not working out for me it's doable the old heads know immediately like he's full of shit it's doable um no i've known him for a long time but we were never really like super close gotcha. until um you know i decided when solar became available in nevada i was like okay this is my opportunity to come back home i could just sell solar here 
and just kind of figure out what else I want to do. Sure. So, um, my and my parents were like all about that because my mom was like, "We want you back here. You know, you're all alone out there. Like, what's the point if you're not gonna like, you know, build anything there?" I was like, "Yeah, you're right." So I came out here. I started working with another company and I like bounced around several companies like selling solar as kind of like an independent guy gotcha just like if you want to give me leads I'll work them yeah and that's just kind of how I played it we bought a house out here um and my business partner who my, my now business partner um like before I moved back to Vegas we were just talking about sports betting while I was still in Orlando like um, I remember I still had an account with a little bit of money in it and I was like, dude, I want to come back and I want to like, like, let's do something. And we were just genuinely interested in it. So he was like, yeah, I need to move out of my, my parents' house too. I need to just like kind of do my own thing. Cause he was about to get engaged to his girl and going to get married at some point. He was like, I want to like do my own thing for a little while before I get married. Like just kind of like live out on my own. Gotcha. So uh, he ended up being one of my roommates and then my my other friend from high school and his brother were my other two roommates so it was the four of us in that house uh, Deer Forest um, and in the beginning when I first moved back to Vegas it was definitely a struggle because it was just 1099 solar sales Contract and that's work. it yeah. so you 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 eat what you kill so if you don't sell anything you don't make any money You're so screwed, right. Yeah, just kind of like living off credit cards, going month to month. You have a you know twenty thousand dollar month, and then you go two three months without selling anything. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like this constant roller coaster of how much money am I gonna yeah. make this month? And I, I call it filet mignon or a cup of noodles, depending on the exactly, <laughs> exactly. So was doing that. My business partner Harut, he had his own thing going on. They had a they have a family rug business um, that they've been doing for for many years. So he was helping his grandfather with that. Um, but on our free time, we were just kind of like researching sports betting stuff and just like looking into it. And we would you know uncover different things, and we just learned a lot in a short period of time. There's a couple books that we read um, that really like were massive turning points. There's a book called Sharper. And then there's another book called uh, The Logic of Sports Betting. We read both of those books and th- that kind of like turned the light bulb on in our brain. We were like, okay, we can Bing. make some money doing right. this. So started doing that with literally all of our free time. Um, and we just became obsessed with it. And it was just like, it was fun. It was stuff that we were genuinely interested in. So like we weren't making any money at first. Like we were just learning it, you know, going through the 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 trials of like okay is this gonna work no this doesn't work okay let's try this okay that works let's do more of that um what was it about that thing what what was it about transitioning to sports betting that suddenly got you so excited because it sounds like just hearing you talk about it now compared to what you were talking mm-hmm. about a minute ago like <laughs> yeah. suddenly I, I mean you can't nobody's in the room they can't see you i see your eyes light yeah. up like you're quickly much more animated about like yeah we tried this we tried this this didn't work like yeah what do you where do you think that excitement came from Did it just manifest itself or I think the excitement came from genuinely being interested okay. in sports and genuinely being interested in like the trading because I enjoyed trading right. when I was trading stocks and it was kind of like Very I similar. didn't yeah I didn't want to let it go like I like I like trading I like being on a screen I like staring at numbers gotcha. I'm a technical guy um, and it was just something that like it was like a game it was almost like a puzzle <laughs> that you wanted to 
figure out and right. beat. And I was like, well, we could do this and we could actually make a lot of money doing it if we scale it properly. And like, this is, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, but obviously like we had to build a bankroll at that time. I only had like, I still only had like 10, 20 grand to my name. Right. Um, you so, gotta pay to play in these scenarios, right? Yeah. You gotta, the more, the more you got to play with, it's like more ammo. Mm-hmm. How much, how much, how many weapons are you trying to go to war with? So, um, I'm stealing that one. I, uh, <laughs> how yeah. How many I, weapons you trying to go to war with? I was still selling solar. And then I also got a part-time gig, uh, as a suite attendant, like a server, uh, oh, at T-Mobile that, Arena yeah. working yeah. the Golden Knights games. That's awesome. Um, yeah, which was cool. You know, you go for a few hours, make a couple hundred bucks, you know. And you're just piling everything though. back into the sports betting at the time, I'm assuming, right? There like was the nothing cash. extra left over to pile onto sports betting. It was literally, I started sports betting with 10 grand and, and it turned into what it is today. Gotcha. So, are you, you comfortable know. saying what it is today? Or a roundabout figure? Probably not. It's seven figures. Okay, seven there figures. You go. So, from a $10,000 investment, you found a way, you and your partner, to. to grow that to a seven figure business three years, yeah it's incredible yeah. <laughs> do you ever sit back now at that at the, at this point and think damn i'm so glad i put that 10 grand in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah so, so what were the qualities or, or the the you know some of the disciplines or qualities that in the journey that you think attributed to uh, what you were able to build on the sports betting side i think I think a lot of it is just kind of like your environment. My business partner naturally is a freaking workaholic, man. I've never seen anybody that works as hard as him. Um, we just have such a really good dynamic, you know, where we understand each other. We're on the same page. And it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you, it's the environment you're in. And I just saw how hard he worked. And I naturally growing up, I, I, you know, I can be honest with myself. I I was pretty lazy. Like even as much as like I was entrepreneurial, I wasn't like, I did, I I probably didn't work as hard as I could have in insurance and solar um, and other things. But like you see someone else that's working really hard side by side by you. And it's kind of like, it just rubs off on you, man. Yeah. Like, so it's it's kind of like the biggest thing I would say is just like surrounding yourself with people who are the type of person that you want to be mm-hmm. um, because that that has a major impact for so, sure. So you don't think you could have done this on your own? Probably could have, but it wouldn't be as fun and it would probably have been a lot harder. Um, and it's, it's much easier to do a business like this with a partner because there's such like, there's a lot of highs and lows, you know, you make a lot of money one month and you lose a lot of money in another month and you're starting to question yourself like, all right, am I, do I need to change anything? So it's kind of like when one person's up or when one person's down, the other person like helps mm-hmm. them, helps them back up sure. and vice versa. And so it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of like a, you have a support system in the business. Um, and it's just more fun to do it with a partner than to just be uh, a rogue, you know, soldier by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you pull resources, you know, you you can split up tasks. You know, there's a lot of different games going on, mm-hmm. a lot of different sports going on at the same time. Well, so like even, on a Saturday, uh, yeah. we're just like splitting up. Like you focus on this, I'll do this. And we're just betting all of it. 
Well, I mean, even a peace of mind when you have an idea. Like, if you, yeah. you're, like, 90% positive this is the right decision, but even getting that peace of mind, you know, from a partner. Yeah, or if you have a bad idea, a partner that talks you out of it. Like, I, <laughs> I'm the type of guy where I just, like, throw ideas Spits out there the all the creative time. type, yeah. All the time. And, you know, he, sometimes it'd be like, whoa, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. Or and other times it'd be like, like that was stupid as fuck. This, yeah, this is not good. And let <laughs> and me tell you why. Nine times out of ten, he's like, nah, bro. Nah. Yeah, bro. that's exactly. <laughs> hey, but it's all right. That one time. That's all you need. That's all you Yeah, right? all you need is that one. So um, it's just good to have another perspective. Um, yeah, we, we talk a lot about that. And in, in just in general about partnerships is like, you have to like know what you don't know and find that person that can compliment you, you know? Like you have to understand like your personality. And that takes a lot of self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, to understand first of all, like you talked about like maybe you were lazy earlier on in life. Like you needed someone who was hyper-motivated to kind of awaken that in you to be like, fuck, I can be like that. Like why am I not doing this, you know? Yeah. You need someone to help you understand your deficiencies. And then once you get that, it's really easy to understand, hey, I'm going to offset some of this responsibility to this person just because, not that I couldn't do it, but because they're better at it. And it allows me to focus on what I'm better at which is, you know, whatever aspect of the business that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the reasons, because, you know, partnerships are hard, man. There's personality clashes and stuff like that. I think the, the one of the biggest things that's contributed to our success is that there really is no ego in, yeah. in our dynamic. Like, yeah. um, if, if I come up with an idea or if I do something that's wrong and it's wrong, okay, it's Just wrong. Move on. Let's let's yeah. fucking move on like we got we got stuff to do like We're there's no yeah. yeah there's no reason to dwell upon shit or you know hold on to stuff well, just because that's my idea and I think mm-hmm. we should do it anyways like I'm the type of person where this is what I think but I'm always open to hearing the opposite side my opinion can change yeah. based on information because like you said you don't know what you don't know and if it becomes like if it comes to light and you're like okay that makes sense all right and that requires a certain level of humility a lot, beyond man. letting down the ego. It's like it's understanding hard. that. Trust me, it's hard. Because in the beginning, like, you know, you, 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 you kind of like still have that a little bit. For right. some people, it's easier than others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but having humility is a big part of success, man. What I find like most, of, most entrepreneurs, like we're, not, we're programmed to not have that. <laughs> like yeah. the, like the one like we want to become entrepreneurs or we want to become successful because like you said earlier like your father told you like don't work for the motherfuckers like yeah. you're just inbred with this idea of like I'll do it I got it I'll get it like and and that ego shields you from understanding that humility is something you have to learn or you know to become successful so it's almost yeah. like it's almost like kind of being a phoenix and being reborn as a business yeah. person you have to kill that person that really has all that drive and that ego that's attached to it and kind of come Absolutely. out as this person on the other side that's like yes I can take all my skill and I can add in the, this humility and I can learn to work with others and that's when things explode I feel like every successful person that we talk to will say the mm-hmm. same thing Most there's very few mm-hmm. of them that go it alone and even the ones that mm-hmm. do there's a hundred people underneath them that they're just not talking about. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's also something like ego, you can't completely kill it. It's no, just kind of it. like you just have to manage it. Yeah. Because you can you can get rid of your ego when you start like seeing some success and then then the ego starts creeping back up. When you get that next like, level. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay. Let me swing my big dick around. Just put it on the table. <laughs> you know, you make a little bit of money. Now you think, you know, you're hot, you're hot shit. shit. And, yeah. you know, you got you to gotta just come back down to reality and just always remind yourself 
Have you ever faced like I mean in, in sports betting or with any you know betting situation, which is basically gambling, just with logic and, yeah. and intellect behind it? Did you ever face like a major correction one time that like that you know you just talked about being on top of the world, but like that puts you in the other perspective of like fuck, what did I just do? Yeah, I mean, there's strategies that we implement, and then you know after we have a decent enough sample size, we'll take a look at it and we're like, okay, we need to we need to cut the we need to cut this. Um, we're always very like like we're we're very like neutral to anything. If something's working, we'll do we'll do it and we'll keep doing it. If it's not working, we'll stop. You know, and and it you know you know what always comes back in my mind when when having that mentality is something Marshall told me a lot a long time ago. I'll never forget actually. Do you know what it is? No. Marshall always talk told a lot of shit. Marshall, <laughs> Marshall told me a long time ago, this is really this is really fucking good advice. He says, Don't ever get married to a business or an idea. Oh, everything yeah. Oh, yeah. everything is like a it's like a vehicle. You hop in it, you ride it till the wheels fall off. If it stops working, if it's not good anymore, get out and get in a new car. Yeah, amen. You're you're but a lot of the times your ego will will you get emotionally you in invested into yeah, what you're, you're emotionally doing. invested you're, yeah even all the hours you put into it and that's yeah, that's to, basically what it was it. Yeah, yeah that's basically what it was for me in insurance like I could have I could have figured out in five six months that insurance just wasn't for me because I didn't like it but but you you wanted to to like it you wanted it to because yeah it. because you're already so invested and then your ego and then you you see you know that there's money to be made but just because there's money to be made in in some type of industry doesn't mean it's right for you. Money can be made in any industry. If the if sure. if there is no money to be made, then an industry wouldn't exist. Exactly. Someone's making money in every single industry. It's just the question is, is it right for you? Is it you or is it somebody else? Yeah. So that's he kind really of, said that to you. He just not some shit. You he said that to me actually a long. This was younger Marshall. So that's crazy, bro. It's it's insane to think the baby Yoda, <laughs> baby Marshall had that type baby of wisdom. Marshall. Mar- Marshall's dropped some gems on me, man. I'm, nah, I'll he's, tell he's you. dropped some gems on all of us. I'm just giving him a hard time. Yeah. I just I give my hard time because I feel like I, like having known I mean, you known him longer than yeah. me, but like I feel like a lot of times this shit just comes out of his mouth. Yeah, and then like after he says it, he's like, "That's fucking good." <laughs> you know I mean? He's just like, he's like, "Yeah, I fucked him up on that one." And he just like quietly yeah. walks off, and then that shit's changing people's lives yeah. behind closed doors. So sp- speaking of like speaking of being like married to an idea, you're talking about like investment strategies and things like that. In, in that industry, you guys obviously have had immense success. Do the same principles, the foundation that you kind of started the business with, does that, like, is it still relevant today? Or have you had to constantly be like a forever learner and change that strategy over and over again? Um, the biggest key in our business, and I think in any business too, I mean, I've mentioned a couple things already, but one of our biggest things that we always talk about amongst each other is adaptability. You got to adapt yeah. or die. Because the market's always changing, even the sports betting market. What we were doing two, three years ago is completely different than what we're doing today because the market's changing. So, you know, you you see what changes and you make changes along with it. If everyone's buying shit online, you got to start selling online or your business is going to... Yeah, COVID proofed that. Yeah. Yeah. Blockbuster <laughs> Block- Block- is a perfect example. Yeah. They didn't want to... They didn't want to... They could have bought Netflix. Right. Yeah. And they didn't do Early it. Early on, yeah. For cheap. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I think adaptability is a big, big thing because things constantly change. Nothing stays the same. And, you know, you start making a little bit of money, you get comfortable. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this business is this business is printing money. I don't I don't have to worry. No, that's wrong. How do you how do you identify like the next strategy that you're going to take? 
is it, I mean, obviously you have a background in finance. I'm, I'm assuming your partner sounds like a very intelligent person, probably has a background in something similar. But how do you identify what's going to be the next strategy? And obviously you test and see if it works or not, but, but where do you get this from? Just from watching it? Just from technical analysis? or? Yeah, I mean, the basic principles in sports betting are kind of ring true in just about all sports with some very like minor differences in terms of the market. Um, but everything has a probability of occurring. So there are no absolutes. Like guys will talk about, oh, what's the lock of the day? What's the lock? There are no locks. There is no... There's no such thing as a sure thing. Because there's human element involved in it, yeah, right? Yeah, anything can happen. We've seen the most craziest anomalies happen all the time. With a large enough sample size, you're going to see crazy stuff happen all the time. Teams are up by like 30 points and then they blow the lead in the fourth quarter. You know, that kind of stuff happens. Not very often, but it happens. So it's kind of like one of those things where you got to think in terms of probability instead of what do I think is going to happen. Gotcha. Because what I think is going to happen today, it may or may not happen. There's, like you said, there's humans. Guy, a guy, maybe you know his his wife upset him before the game, and his mind's not right, and he's missing his shots, or right. you know, uh, he ate a burrito and his stomach's <laughs> hurting, you yeah. know, and you know, so anything can happen. So it's you look at the like, okay, so what's the true probability of this occurring, and then that can be converted into the odds that's being offered. Right. So like a minus one ten. Yeah. On 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 pretty much every spread that comes out to 52.38%. So if you think that so quick, you just spit that off. Like wow, if, you th- here. Yeah, if you think that, <laughs> <laughs> if you think that that occurring, like for example, the team winning by two points is minus minus one ten. If you think that that happening has a greater chance than 52.38%, then you have an edge. A lot of the times, the edges are small. The, the edges in sports betting are, you know, they're razor thin. If you if you have a two percent edge, that's a good that's a good bet. Like that will 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 play something like that. Yeah, he, he used to call me um, when he's back home, and because he knew that I I'm a fan of UFC, mm-hmm. and he'd be like, "All right, so this this event, these two people are fighting. If they fought a hundred times, what do you think the outcome would be?" Like, who would win, like, would someone, one person win 60% of the time, and the other person win 40% of the time? And I never looked at fighting the same, because, like, you can, just because you beat someone in, like, a, a martial arts tournament, or, like, doesn't you mean could, shit. doesn't mean shit. You, yeah. you can get your ass kicked by the same person. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So. so, is that is that how you approach betting in general, is from, like, you're taking this this kind of idea of this percentage, and then thinking personally about what you understand about the team or about who's playing against each other or do you look at it from a much more technical aspect where you're you're just checking like what the what the odds are and trying to play against the odds yeah so we so there's different ways to to bet um so there's we don't originate we're not handicappers um well actually harder to originates uh women's tennis wta he's actually really good at it he's got i think eight percent hold or something like that but um there's there's guys who originate which means which means they they basically like a lot of them are modelers right so they'll build a computer model they'll drop a bunch of data into a computer model um you know they'll they'll tweak some inputs and then the model will spit out what the percentage should be gotcha and then they'll compare it to what's being offered in the market and then if there's any discrepancies then they'll play that 
Okay. And then there's guys who just kind of look at the market and you can see stuff moving and as it's moving, you can bet it. So, you know, in the beginning we were doing that. It was called, steam, you know, steam chasing is what they would call it. Like guys who were just like chasing the moves. Right. Um, and the modelers don't really like steam chases at all. They're, they're kind of salty about that. But that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> For but, a different day. Yeah, but, um, you know, in the beginning it was just kind of like us looking at the market playing different stuff. There's different strategies in different sports. Okay. Like for NBA, we would just hammer injury news. So like, for example, LeBron's not playing, the line's going to move by like two, three points. Of course. So if once the news comes out, you know, you got maybe 15, 20 seconds to get your bets down. So you're kind of looking for catalysts all day. Yeah, before everywhere pulls it. So like we would do stuff like that. Um, and then we've kind of evolved into working with a lot of very talented modelers so we have awesome. information sources for different different sports um you know so like one guy's really good on college basketball and WNBA another guy um you know has ATP tennis um you know with soccer like we're just pure tra- pur- purely trading that cuz once lineups come out um the the lines will move a little bit and we just kind of get ahead of that gotcha and there's also stuff that like certain teams and certain games are hit the same way almost every time so you kind of like learn the tendencies like okay well on this sport this team they're always hammering the over the season right. and that changes right from season to season sure. so because but you learn maybe, to see what you're looking for yeah so you know you could either have like your just one modeler approach where you originate your own number or you look at the entire market and kind of look at it from like the wisdom of crowds approach where it's the collective opinion of all of the smart people in the world that are you know playing this marketplace gotcha and some markets are efficient they close efficiently and others don't um it's kind of like you you learn which ones which ones do and which ones don't. Well, it's interesting because it sounds like you sophisticated the process a little bit over time, and then you actually extrapolated what you currently did, which was like finding a great partner, and you're kind of partnering out a lot of other sections of your business, yeah. which is similar to what we do. You yeah. know, we we we, we, we partnered on something because we knew what we could do together, and then you know we realized like there's certain rock stars in the retail industry that are going to be great at certain things and some that are not and you know we find out ways to partner with them and work with in, in different directions so it's interesting just to hear that this, the same principles kind of apply yeah regardless of where you are because who would have thought that you know something like sports betting you think you know from, from an outside perspective with someone like me that knows nothing about it you know I just watched I watched a game the other day in one of the casinos here it was like first time being in a sports book and like looking like what the fuck is this shit it's cool huh it's really cool and I never thought about games that way. I've always just been a you know purist and a fan of the game. I mean, yeah. I love I love basketball, so I've always mm-hmm. just watched it. But like realizing how fucking like like precise some of these 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 bets are. So realizing that there was a business there, you guys found a business and you found ways to work with other people who were interested in it. That's that's fascinating. So I have to ask this because you guys you build this business up. Obviously, you're very successful at what you're doing. One of the main things we wanted to talk about today was was your yeah, interest in NFTs. Yeah, because this is something that like. Marshall just decided to dive into recently because I know mostly because of you. Mm-hmm. 100% he'll probably say, well, my, my buddy's killing it, and this is what he told me to do, so I'm jumping in. Richard, that was a hard conversation to have with him, by the way. Yeah. When I first pulled the trigger, and mm-hmm. I was like, we just opened up a store. 
Yeah, how yeah, did that? Like, I, I, I'll, never I'll tell, tell you. Would you, you like me to tell you? Yeah, I can tell you how it went down. Because so, I can only imagine how Marshall approached it. He did Marshall. No, he didn't. This is how it goes. Let me tell you how it goes. So we're, we're in like the biggest growth phase of our life, right? Like we're just investing literally every dollar that comes in back into growing our retail business because opportunity goes crazy over COVID. Everybody's mm-hmm. shutting down spots and shit's coming up overnight. And he and I are just like, we'll take this one and this one and that one, this one, making deals, right? And, you know, a lot of times the way that we work is like Marshall's really great at setting up the systems and getting everything in place. And then when we actually pull the trigger, I go out and build the team, bring things together and start working on the floor. So I'm like in the middle of like we just opened like a brand new store. I'm grinding my ass off like in the trenches. We have another store coming. It's like you want to buy some JPEGs? No, he just goes, he goes, he goes like this. He goes, he goes, just in a WhatsApp message, like a text message. He's like, hey, you're going to see 50 grand come out of the account. Just like that. He goes, he goes, you're going to see 50K come out of the account. Uh, we're buying NFTs. And then he sends me some bullshit link to the fucking comms. To, and, I, and I'm at home and I'm like, I didn't even catch it. And I just like pull it up on my laptop. And I, all of a sudden I'm looking at these fucking JPEGs of a monkey. And I'm like, Marshall, what the fuck? I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, what the fuck is this? But listen, so Marshall, I've been in business for so long now. And typically I, I understand like he's, 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 He's not like very conservative, but he's never like he's taking. Definitely not conservative. No, Marshall's but, not the conservative. No, but he type. typically doesn't take risk without like a like a reason. Like normally he's informed on these things. So I've learned over the years, like whenever I talk shit, it ends up like working out. So I'm just like, all right, fuck it. I guess 50k is coming out for well, these JPEGs. Like you're either in a midlife crisis or you're or you're a genius. <laughs> either exactly way, I'm here for it. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly what I texted. I was like, either you're having a midlife crisis or you're a fucking genius. Either way, I got your back, bro. Like let's let's do it. <laughs> But and then he goes, and then it's like, not even like a week later, not even like a week later, he goes, we're going to take another 40 out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, bruh. <laughs> Yo, for real. So, so a big reason why, you know, we wanted to sit and chat with you today is because of, you know, the, the reason, the way that you've been able to take what you were doing in that business and then get into NFT. So what sparks your interest in NFTs? What gets you, you know, excited about it? Where, where did you first kind of... Yeah, how did you get exposed to it? Because right. I don't even think we've talked about that before. Yeah, my buddy, um, we have a couple of buddies that we do business with um, out of Canada, Johnny and Julian. They, they, own a, they own a betting app. They created a betting app called BetStamp where okay. people can track their plays prior to uh, the game starting. And that way, um, you know, you can show people... Hey, like this is my track record. It's verified on the app. It's a really cool app. Very popular. Um, you know, check out Betstamp on Twitter. Um, my buddy Johnny was the first one who exposed us to NFTs. He's like, dude, you guys got to look at this shit. It's CryptoPunks. It's called CryptoPunks. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what the fuck is CryptoPunks? What's a CryptoPunk? He, yeah. sent, he sent the link and he's like, dude, this is called an NFT. It's a non-fungible token. I'm like, what the fuck is that, bro? Like, we're over here betting games. Like, it's busy. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, what the fuck is this? So and you then, had so a similar they, situation Yeah, to me, so they, yeah. they explained it. And then at the time, I was like, I just didn't understand, right? And But then you think about, like, anything revolutionary in the very right. beginning people don't understand it like the internet people are like well I, I want my mail to come in the USPS well that <laughs> you know that that's kind of like uh, you know antiquated now but we saw it and one thing that I've always believed in is like you don't have to understand 
a market for it to be profitable. Mm. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean that it doesn't there's, make money. Yeah, there's there's money that can be made. So basically, what it is is it's digital art um, that's tied to a crypto key, and the and the value is in the key, right? So and it can be anything. It's, right now, we're seeing like the the kind of like it's still very very early, uh, and we're seeing just like kind of like static images. But you know, someone could make an NFT of their music and sell it. Like for example, like. Uh, an artist, let's say a popular artist, Drake says, my next album is going to be as an NFT. And the only way for you to get it is to buy the NFT. And there's only going to be X amount of them. And whoever that holds it is going to be the one that can listen to it. Now, from what I've understood, though, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. So just because you own the NFT doesn't mean you own the trademark or the rights or any like like proprietary information regarding that NFT, right? So like if, if I were to buy like that, you know, the NFT of Drake's music, let's say, it's mm -hmm. not like I can decide who's going to stream that music now or I have some type of ownership that I can make money from now, I right? I think it all depends on how they structure it, the creator structure it, because there's certain NFTs where you can get royalties off of the money that your NFT brings in. Gotcha. Um, you know, people can fractionalize their NFT, uh, fractional ownership. Okay. Um, there's just a lot of different things that can be done. We're still in the infancy stages right now. So um, he sent it to us and we were like, okay. He's like, dude, this thing is going to blow up. It's going to be big. And, you know, we're, I'm kind of very similar to Marshall in that sense. In that, like, I like to make decisions quickly. Right. Um, that book I gave you, Men of Action are favored by the goddess of good luck. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't, I just keep that kind of in the back of my mind and we're like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's buy one. So we bought one and I'm sure you can imagine the conversation with my dad on that was, was pretty interesting. <laughs> well, I remember I, you texting me saying, what do you think of these crypto punks? Yeah. It was a 35 grand at the time, I think. Yeah, so. And, and now that's like, considered. I, I thought you were insane. Yeah, so <laughs> I, we. I came home one day and, and I showed my dad. I was like, Dad, look. He's, he's like, what is this? I was, I, was like, I was like, we just bought this. He goes, what is that? I was like, it's digital art. He goes, oh, that's nice. I was like, we paid 30000 for it. He's like, what? He's like, this isn't art. This isn't art. He goes, you know what's art? That's Leonardo da Vinci. Hold on, hold on. By the way, yeah, this is 8-bit, right? Yeah, the yeah. crypto punks are like 8-bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he goes. Like, I can make this with my computer. <laughs> That's how I feel still about it was like a lot of Minecraft the... graphics. Here's yeah, the thing, but so so before we get into it though, what do you think? What do you think that CryptoPunk is worth today? Well, I know what it's worth today. What's it worth? It's roughly half a mil. <laughs> <laughs> Off a of fucking JPEG. So, yeah, yeah, the cheapest ones are worth like four hundred k. So I mean, we bought a few with them, and then you know from there it was just like going down a rabbit hole, finding other projects. There's a lot of projects that just Blow, blew up some blew up in our face Al Cabones was one of them <laughs> that was a giant shit show I mean look it's a very risky space right there's a lot of money that can be made and a lot of money that can be lost a lot of people think that it's a bubble but there's a, bubbles in a lot so, of industry I think the real estate real estate industry is in a bubble, bubble. I think I a lot of bubbles are out there it doesn't mean that people can't make money in, in a bubble so okay so on that on that subject because um, you, you actually answered my first two questions before I even got to them which is great Besides, actually, before I get too deep into it, what, I mean, what does NFT, like, what does that category represent to you? Like, are you in it strictly for the money, or do you like the idea of the community? Is there other things involved in it, or are you just strictly as an investment category? I think the investment side of it is a big, big part, but I think, like, a good advice to other people looking to get into it is, like, buy stuff that you're 
you actually like and that you you actually like want to own and you're okay with losing that money if gotcha. it, if it if you lose it right. um, so like we buy stuff that we like and we believe in obviously the 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 financial gain is a big part of why we do it if we're just buying it and we know it's never going to sell then it's kind of pointless but um, there's a lot of opportunity in it um, the crypto punks were very confident that they're going to hold and they're going to actually continue to go up over the years because of historical value they were kind of just like the first right um, there was actually a billboard right at town square um, really of a of a crypto punk and a guy with the website and he was saying and it was a crypto punk with like a like a gray cap and an eye patch and it was and it said the pirate punk and it was like who will buy this? Will it be a certain sports team? So basically, the guy's trying to sell this NFT to the Raiders. And he's got a billboard right here. And it's, it's like, like yeah, so it's kind of like, it's still in the adoption phase. There's a lot of people that don't understand it. There's a lot of people that don't even know what it is. A lot of people that completely disagree with why these things are valued mm -hmm. as what, at what they're valued at. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a way for people to, to show that they have something that cannot be faked right because you own that key yeah yeah i can right click and save the picture but i don't own it i can right click and save a picture of the mona lisa but i don't own that mm -hmm. mm. i can buy a fake rolex but it's not the real thing that's a great point i can buy fake sneakers but it's not the real thing <laughs> you can buy that stuff for a fraction of the cost but it doesn't mean it's the real thing it doesn't mean it's the original gotcha the original is what the, the key itself mm -hmm. is what gives it its value. You can't fake that. So um, I think that's the aspect that, you know, like once you truly grasp that concept, mm -hmm. you understand why these things have the value that they have. And then, you know, there's also like utility and stuff mm -hmm. like that that comes into play. That's a whole different. So, so what do you think separates a, a successful project from a rug pull or a, a project that doesn't go anywhere in the NFT space? Um, I think it's several things. It has to have a very strong development team. Um, I think the art has to be good. Obviously, obviously like it's yeah. got to be desirable. But beyond that, because I mean, there's stuff getting spewed out every day now. It's mm -hmm. just like people are just doing cash grabs and just like dropping projects left and right. So the market's getting very saturated. And a lot of these uh, NFT projects are going to be worthless, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we've learned a lot in a short period of time with it. And, you know, maybe in hindsight, there's certain things that yeah. we would do differently. Um, not just buying a bunch of different stuff and just kind of focusing on the ones that we think are going to do really well. But, you know, the, the up and coming projects are the ones where I have the most yeah. opportunity because they can 10x in one day. Yeah. What, what determines when you say like a strong development team is something that you look for? Like what, what do you, what do you, how do you make that evaluation? Well, I mean, there's like the, when, when, a, when a project is about to go live, they'll have a roadmap on their site. And the roadmap will basically lay out what their plan is for the foreseeable future. So you kind of look at the roadmap. Uh, a lot of them have the names of their developers and their artists and whoever that's working on the project there. So you can kind of like look those people up and see who they are. Um, social media following. Social media following. What projects have they worked on before? Have they worked, like some of these guys come from like gaming and stuff like mm -hmm. that. They've worked on very, very like successful like projects. projects. Yeah. yeah. So you know that it's going to have a strong backing. And then also the community. Like, what's the community like? Um, you know, 
are is it is it a good strong community like cyber Kongs has a very very strong community um so when you're looking for a project like that to invest in, how important is like the liquidity of that market to you? Like, do you think that cheaper projects have more liquidity compared to things like CryptoPunks or CyberKongs or things like that, or you think it's inverse of that? I think the liquidity is very important, but it, how how expensive or how cheap it is doesn't really determine the liquidity because there's cheap projects that have zero liquidity because nobody wants that shit, mm-hmm. and then there's expensive projects that have a lot of liquidity mm-hmm. if you price it at the floor shit's gonna probably sell right yeah but i mean do you feel like some projects are uh, a lot of people are priced out of certain projects yeah. yeah some of the blue chip projects a lot of people are priced out i mean it's six figures to get a crypto punk it's six figures multiple six figures to get a cyber Kong. it's six figures to get a board ape uh, a lot of people are priced out of those, but I think there's a lot of people that haven't even entered the market yet. So, so on that subject, you talk about blue chip. I guess you talk. If we're thinking about stocks, it's like your blue chip stocks and your growth stocks, right? Mm-hmm. So, blue, you just listed off a great list of blue chips. You're talking yeah. about your cyber kongs or the board apes, board apes, crypto punks, crypto punks. What would you consider cool like a growth NFT right now? Something that you know people could get in for. Sup, sup, sup. Sup, 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 I mean, sup. it all really depends on <laughs> someone's like. What what what's your like? What are you working with? Cause I mean, even subducks, it's like six seven grand to get one. That's the cheapest. Yeah. So um, well, I think a lot of people that first get into, I mean, not everybody, but I think most folks wouldn't start investing in the stock market. For instance, if they had less than ten grand in disposable income, they might throw a little bit now because of fractional shares, the Robinhood, and things like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess if I had to categorize it or like you know sort it down a little bit for you, like filter mm-hmm. it, like under ten grand for me to get involved. Like, what do you think would be a good well, in your that, opinion. with that, then you also look at, okay, are you trying to throw all of your money onto one project or are you trying to spread it out? Because if you have 10 grand, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't say throw it all in one because you live and die by that project. So, um, so you think diversification is still relevant? Yeah, because there's a lot of money that can be made in the up and coming projects and the, and the stuff that's still really cheap, minting new projects. Um, but also like gotta be selective because there's so many out there. Um, you know, Subducks have like a secondary project called King Frogs. I think those are going to do well over time. Thick boys. Yeah. Those are going to be expensive. Um, (laughs) Man, there's so many, man. I don't even keep up with it because it's kind of like a side side hobby for us. It's not even like we spend so much time on the sports betting stuff. It's just kind of like there's too many projects to keep up with all of them. It's just every day there's tons of them. So you, you had mentioned to Marshall, I think at one point, because he mentioned this to me, that you saw more opportunity in the NFT market than, uh, in, than in sports betting. Do you feel, still have that sentiment or has that changed? I think at the current moment, there's just so many price inefficiencies that happen in the NFT space that, yeah, you could potentially make more money in, in NFTs than, than betting sports. But um, like we were talking about the other day, we don't have the tools and resources sure. le- that we do in sports betting right. to do that in the in the NFT side. But um, going back to what you were talking about, like people that were priced out, there's yeah. a lot of NFTs now on the Solana side because Solana's because right now a lot of NFTs are are they're strictly traded in ETH Ethereum right right so. There's people that are coming into the marketplace that want to get NFTs, but they don't have ETH like that. And Solana's a much cheaper alternative and there's projects that are going from you know zero to hero very quickly even on the solana side because those are the ones that you know there's a different demographic of people um like that can afford that but not this sure so 
I would probably say if someone's got 10k to play with, just start in the Solana side. Matt, I got Matt, my one of our other friends, uh, into NFTs, and he's just immersed in it, and he's just <laughs> he's he's paying much closer attention to it than I am now, yeah. and he's obviously like you know trying to work his way into you know bigger projects and. Mm-hmm. He keeps telling me, he's like, man, the Solana stuff, man, you got to get on the Solana stuff because there's a lot of opportunity there. Stuff's going from like nothing to a lot very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, if, if I was giving someone advice trying to get into the NFT space, if you got 10 grand, jump on the Solana side of things and just kind of like play around with some of the stuff there, you know, buy a couple things. Don't don't throw all your money into one project. Sure. Um, split it up. Yeah, spread it around. Yeah, because I think diversification is like it's kind of like a pillar of like modern investment theory, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times when people are like looking at new investment categories like this, they're not considering that, right? It's just mm-hmm. like I, I'm waiting for. It's like when people first get into stocks, or if they think flipping house is going to be the next big thing, or whatever, they just kind of go crazy into one class. So mm-hmm. that's that's very sound advice. Um, speaking of that, like your other business has provided you you know, with a lot of liquidity to access and get into the market. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have approached NFTs if you'd made like, let's say under a hundred K a year? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Why, why is that? Why is that? Yeah. Cause I wouldn't have been able to or- afford a crypto pump. Kind of like, <laughs> what am I going to get? Like, I don't really know much about that stuff. It was kind of like right place, right time type situation. Mm. Gotcha. That makes sense. So I probably, maybe I would have, but I probably would have been very late to it. I don't think, I don't think if I was in the sports betting circles, I would have been exposed to it as early as I was. Oh yeah, I mean, NFT space is all about who you know, definitely right now. I mean, mm-hmm. even look, look at some of these uh, Discord communities, Yeah. you know, for each project. I mean, didn't you find out about CyberKongs? I know you found out about SupDocs because of uh, the CyberKong Discord, right? No, we weren't even in the CyberKong. We didn't get a CyberKong until... I think after we got subducts. Oh really? Okay. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, then how did you get tipped off on subducts? Because I remember you saying. Uh, well, after we got crypto punks, we were kind of like paying attention to the market. Gotcha. And after the crypto punks, we bought some me bits, which was a secondary project from crypto punks. We ended up selling those because at the time they didn't do very well. Uh, and at that point in time, that's right when board apes mm-hmm. were coming out. They were like 0.05 ETH each, mm-hmm. and we didn't buy any of those. And wow. now they are where they're at today. Um, but we we were kind of like paying attention to it and then Haru found Subducks and he sent the link to me when I was, I think I told you guys this story, I was like flying to Reno to go handle some stuff over there and he sent me the link and I just saw, I just saw them and I was like, these are so, these are so cool. You can't, you can't look at them and not smile. Yeah, they're pretty dope. <laughs> so, um, I was like, yeah. Dude, let's do it. Let's let's get a bunch of these and let's go heavy. Because when you're minting a new project, the cool thing is, is like we were talking about the other day, is like it's like that childhood feeling that because I was big into basketball cards as right. a kid, yeah. And it was like every weekend was going to the mall and spending whatever I had on a pack of cards, and it's that is a form of gambling in and of itself. But it's like minting a new project is like opening a pack of cards because you don't know what you're going to get. You could get something that's really rare and it could change your life instantly. And so for those who don't know about like what minting is, basically you're talking about the process of a new project that hasn't been released, Mm -hmm. right? Like they don't have all of the, you know, the JPEGs out. Mm -hmm. That's called like that. Make it super simple. And you essentially go in there and, you know, you get a wallet, 
is mm-hmm. that how it, how it works? Mm-hmm. And then you just go to the project's website and say, hey, yeah. I'm going to mint this. And what does that typically cost somebody? Does there, is there like a set price on that or can that be yeah, varying from the project? Or? It can vary. Yeah, it can definitely vary because so um, I'm more familiar and have experience on the Ethereum NFT side of sure. things. Yeah. The Solana is probably very similar, but just slightly different in some ways. But um, usually most projects, when you're minting, they're somewhere between 0.05 to 0.08 ETH. Mm-hmm. So um, this was like back when we were doing it in July for the subducts. Ethereum was like a little under two grand. So yeah. each subduct was like 150 bucks. Right. Plus gas fees. Right. So and the gas fee can vary based on how many people are conducting transactions on the Ethereum blockchain network. So, um, you know, you it can vary just like around that much. But some projects, they, they mint for a lot more. They, right. You know, they do, only, they do a lot less units, but they mint them at a, at a uh, more expensive price. Uh, you know, they, it, it can vary. Gotcha. Definitely can vary. Okay, that's interesting because I know a lot of people, you know, have asked like, how do you get them? Where do you get them? Like, just mm-hmm. the basics of like purchasing an NFT and kind of how you bring it in. But I think you, you like a lot of people, uh, it, a lot of stuffs coming from OpenSea, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a very common place for them to transact. Yeah. So when when a project's first coming out and it's and they're they're releasing it for the first time, you you like we discussed, you you mint it. So right. you mint it and then you get a random one that you don't know what it is. And then once all of them have been sold, then they start to reveal uh, in your wallet. Now, once all of them are sold, then people can start transacting them and buying and selling on the secondary market, which is OpenSea. Gotcha. Uh, and that's basically like the eBay of NFTs, right? And you can see like the transaction history, um, you know, the different traits of each one and, and all that, all that good stuff. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people want to know is when you're selecting like a project and you're deciding to invest in one, right? You talked earlier about like, you can't just, you can't help but look at the subduck project and not laugh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like this shit's just so fucking (laughs) wild. Like there's just different things happening on it. You know, how, how much of, uh, you know, selecting uh, what you're actually going to purchase within the project, uh, is a conversation kind of around like the rare traits that they have versus just like the subjective, like artistic value. Um, that's a good question because uh, when we were first like buying some stuff secondary, we was looking for stuff that was like rare and rare traits and like try to get something that's like good, um, and that'll burn your money a lot quicker. Really? Um, well, not burn your money, but you're gonna end up spending more than you sh- than you can uh, if you were to just stick to the floor ones. So when someone's just first starting out, I would recommend just buying floor. Like if I could do anything differently, I would probably buy less rare ones right. and buy more ones that are close to the floor. And what the floor is basically is exactly what it sounds like. The, the cheapest, cheapest ones you being can buy one. Of the collection, yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is because the, rare, the more rare something is, the less sales are going to happen naturally. Right. So the... the Price is very subjective on that. Uh, what you might think that rarity is worth might be different than what the market thinks, and then there's not that much transaction history for you to be able to know, like, okay, what is this really worth? Some projects that are very liquid, yeah, you can know. Uh, like Bored Apes, CryptoPunk, stuff like that, you know what that stuff is worth uh, because there's a good, healthy history of it. Right. But like, 
it's just the the more rare the more rare something is the less liquid it is because more, like people are priced out of it exactly so when someone's just getting into the nft space i would highly recommend just sticking to the floor buying the floor stuff because that's going to be the most liquid and when the market goes up the floor ones what i based on what i've seen that's what seem to be the, the ones first. that appreciate right like the most percentage wise mm -hmm. uh relative to the rest um you know in hindsight like i mean we bought a couple super ducks and we spent a lot on those in hindsight we would have definitely been better off spending that money on just a bunch of floor ducks mm -hmm. instead didn't you and get like a golden duck isn't that what you're saying yeah that's, that's fucking one. cool though i mean come on yeah that's the spend the money one. on yeah. that shit why but, not yeah i mean because the thing is he is what the nft community calls a whale okay that, and which is really funny because you have access to different Discord channels based on how many NFTs that you have that it integrates with it. Um, oh, and because he has so many of them. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Of like a so. certain project, you have access to different sections that other people don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a VIP room. Yeah, yeah. like for yeah. CyberKongs, like if you if you have a Genesis CyberKong, like there's a whole different chat, and then there's one called Wall Street Kongs. It's probably the most valuable Discord channel. Out yeah, there. like imagine, really, imagine the networking that happens. That's a things. good point because the people who can afford those types of projects, right? Oh, they're yeah. in the know. They're all millionaires. That's awesome. Almost all of them are millionaires. There's guys that own like hundred cyberkongs. That's like they're they're generating seven figures in residual money every in month. Bananas. Yeah, a month. <laughs> we were talking about that on the way over here. We're like, yeah. we're we're on the fence. I, we just talked about it before we got yeah. in here, but I think it'd be fun to share. Yeah. We're like on the fence about we're talking about possibly buying a condo here in Vegas, just because we traveled back and forth so much. And we're in the car. We're like, condo or Kong, condo or Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and we're and it's just so funny to try to explain it to like you talked earlier about talking to your dad about it, and like my father and I have had the same discussion. And I'm like, Dad, it shits bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just it's, bananas. Like, it's, what it's, it's just bananas. Yeah. It's funny because... <laughs> He's like, I, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, the bananas are worth money, but why? Because somebody said it, it's worth it. <laughs> I, did a, I did a poll on Twitter because I really want to... Like, one of my... Something that I really got my eye on is a 488 Pista. It's a Ferrari. Something that I've really been wanting for a little while. And that car is like, I don't know, like 450, 500 grand. Jesus Christ. And... Just for like shits and giggles, I did a poll on Twitter, which most of my followers are either sports bettors or, you know, in the sports betting space or NFT space. And I did a poll and I, I said, 488 Pista or another Kong? And it was like an overwhelming <laughs> cyber Kong. And then the comments were just hilarious. One of them was like, um, how many bananas does this Ferrari produce today, sir? <laughs> It's like you got a fucking point. <laughs> that that to me has been so. I I still and I'm learning a lot about it as we get in, involved in it, just to understand the projects. Not that I know that it's going to be a super solid business thing, but I'm I'm just trying to understand more of it. And and to me, that's the most exciting part about the NFT space now is the concept of utility, mm -hmm. right? Like your your NFT being able to generate something because that to me just it sounds like a stock that pays dividend, which mm -hmm. is just something I understand. Um, or the idea that somehow this metaverse is going to appear before our eyes in the next 15 to 20 years, which I think clearly... You know, Sooner than that. I was going to say, Facebook changing their name completely, being one of the biggest corporations on the planet, investing you know hundreds of billions of dollars in this. How, how real do you think that is, that people would be able to somehow interact with the, you know, their, their, their NFTs in a metaverse? And what does that look like to you? Like, do you ever imagine what that's going to be like? Yeah, all the time. Um, the metaverse is definitely like it's gonna happen it's it's coming and it's real and 
Um, it's basically just like a virtual world, virtual reality. And I honestly, back when I was uh, back when I was still in insurance and mm-hmm. I was driving Uber, I I drove some guys during CES. This was like four or five years ago. Some very successful people. I was like, you know, giving them Uber rides, and I would always ask them questions. And I was like, what do you think is the future? This guy's like, listen, virtual reality is the future. He goes, you're gonna be able to. You'll have someone that's like in the hospital dying and they never got a chance to go to Paris and they'll be able to put on a headset and literally mm, walk through wow. the streets of, of Paris and and there's going to be ads all over the place. And there's going to be a massive economy in virtual reality. Inside and we're watching VR. it unfold now, five, well, six years later. I was, what I tell people too is it's also a global economy. Yeah. You know, like we, we live cool. in America, we have a, a the U.S. economy that we're kind of subject to. Mm-hmm. But what's I so excited about crypto and NFT space and the metaverse and everything is that now you're talking about worldwide economics where people are from all over the world can participate in. Yeah. yeah. Web3 is going to be, uh, it's going to be crazy. What do you, people what do you mean by Web3? Well, Web1 was basically like the dot-com era where, you know, you have websites, www.whatever. Right. And then Web2 is uh, the... The evolution of that into apps like your Facebook.com or your Facebook and your mm-hmm. Instagram Social and media. stuff like that. Yeah. And Web3 is the continued evolution of that into the metaverse and, yeah. um, you know, being able to exist in a virtual world um, and do different shit like play games, Cyber Kongs games, stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of a, a bulk of like this NFT space and stuff is going to revolve around being able to play games. But there's also a lot of other things that are going to come from it I'm going to be able to do that's interesting so. yeah I think I think that's I probably why Facebook has gotten so ahead of it because they're in the business of you know selling ads yeah. so they're mm-hmm. thinking about how they can be involved in taking what they already know about their their database and getting well they'll get left space. behind if they don't right it'll, it's it'll be the same story as the blockbuster to Netflix thing. right it's true I mean I already can't stand Facebook I use it just for comedy yeah you know? yeah I don't <laughs> even like when but yeah but when when it becomes a real thing and and it's all about where the users are right so yep. if most of the people are in a metaverse and nobody's using Facebook then the value of that is going to plummet so they're just trying to position themselves to be where the people are going to be um, and That's I think point. that and I think the people are going to be there look honestly I mean I, I watched my 8 year old son spend all of his time you know wandering the the virtual Minecraft. world of uh, Roblox yeah Roblox I mean, Minecraft all the same shit yeah I mean it's I really do think that when those kids get older that's going to be completely natural and second nature yeah I mean some people think that it's you know it's not good for society I'll oh, put on headsets and you don't see the real the same natural shit they said world. about gaming yeah, but you know what, man? It's going to happen whether we like it or not. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, having a healthy understanding of it and separating, mm-hmm. you know, that from real life and actually being it, like, making sure you go mm-hmm. outside and. But see honestly, the real man, world. It, it, it's, it's, that's so subjective, too, because it depends on where the fuck you are. Yeah. Some yeah, folks may not want yeah, yeah, they may not fucking go outside. Like, yeah. if I live in downtown Detroit, hey, maybe the metaverse is where I want to stay. That's true. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Or like, some kid in a farm in Nebraska right. that has internet connection exactly. and doesn't get out very often or leave a small town. Away from society completely. I think yeah. about uh, when I, whenever the concept of metaverse came up, I always think about that movie, Ready Player One. Oh, Did yeah. You guys watch that, that movie. Where the guy's like basically in the middle of fucking nowhere in the slums, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's become like modern day. You know, US, and he's like, Why the fuck do I want to be here? I can just live in this this virtual universe and, and 
have you know 10 times the life that I want here. And it's interesting because low-key, we're kind of already there. Like yeah. a lot of people live... In the phones. 80%. Now, I mean, this is ridiculous how much time we spend with this little block in front of our face. Mm-hmm. And they spend a, a good portion of their life just interacting with each other through social media that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, they don't even have regular relationships. All the mm-hmm. relationships are through, you know, each other yeah. on, on that, on that, that social media platform. So absolutely. I always thought that that was interesting. Um, I hate to bore you with questions kind of on the, the technical no perspective of it, but it's just something I'm interested in knowing. Uh, a lot of people talk about like buying the dip when it comes to like investment categories. Like we talk about that in the housing market. We talk about that in you know um, in stock market as well. Do you think that that same strategy kind of applies to NFTs, or would you prefer like time in the market over like timing the market? I think I think you can make money both both ways. Um, timing the market is not for the novice, right? Right. Um, but we're noticing like a lot of the sharp guys in the nft space they're they stayed liquid in eth and during times like this they're snagging up stuff for discount and they're just buying like buying crazy. stuff in bear market so kind of like one of the things we learned you know would we'll do differently next time is not ape into a bunch of the pro like we have some we have a bunch of stuff that i'm like probably would have been better if we didn't buy these you're right yeah. Um, and had the liquid ETH because there's plenty of stuff that I would love to buy right now that are, you know, at a good price. Um, but there's also stuff that, like, you know, you want to buy and just hang on to because you think that it's going to do well over time. So how, how long do you think you want to hold like a normal, like a project like CyberKongs or your crypto? Or Subtex, yeah. yeah CyberKong will go with me to the grave. That's not getting <laughs> sold. What, I don't, what I don't do you mean it won't get sold? I won't sell it. We won't sell the cyber So, so what's the what's the purpose of having it in your mind? Produce bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep it's gonna produce it. bananas for ten years, but I think <laughs> Marshall's literally red in the face. <laughs> it produces bananas. <laughs> I think. I know. I won't even laugh because it's such a fucking real answer. Like it's such a legit. Yeah. Because like, 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 if we have these conversations, you're like, this is real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to grasp, but it's you're, so you're. T- I'm not going to sell about- something for four hundred thousand because it produces <laughs> bananas. bananas. Yeah. So your so your strategy on it is like it's it's producing like dividends, so I would never let go of it. Basically, right? Yeah, I mean, but things can change, right? So as new information comes to market, you, your opinion might change, your 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 strategy might change. So it's one of those things where you're like, you know, you you approach it based on the information you have, right? And as new information gets exposed to you you like just like in sports betting you adapt just like you know how it was with us with that so it's like um you know for the time being i'm still very bullish on it so it's gonna get the grave with you yeah um (laughs) and that may change right now that's the strategy yeah yeah, at this point point, i i I don't plan on selling it anytime well the reason why i ask is because that's a conversation that we've had it's just like you you know you purchase it and then you know obviously the idea of any investment category is either to make money out of it or to be able to Mm -hmm. leverage that against something else and i think a lot of critics of this market would say that you know nfts could be a mistake because you're unable to leverage your investments like in real estate or in stocks for instance like it's if not you true though. okay, so that's where you can shine some light on it. Because like in a house, if your equity goes up, you can get a HELOC or a cash out refi, or if you have a stock portfolio, you can operate on margin. So how would you do the same thing? I guess in the NFT space, fractional ownership, fractional ownership, and that's something that you can do now, like with the stuff that you own currently, or do you think that's something that's going to come yeah. later? Um, it's not really that pre- prevalent right now, but you can. Um, 
you know, fractional ownership of some of the stuff that people are priced out of. Uh, a lot of projects have uh, what's called a, is a DAO. Um, and I forgot what it stands for, but basically the DAO is like you buy into the project and you have, you know, shares of the treasury fund, which is one of the projects that Matt has called Roaring Leaders. Um, like decentralized something organization. And what it does yeah, so, so basically what they do is um, a portion of the proceeds that goes to the project, they take that money and they utilize it to buy blue chip NFTs and it's stored in the, in the community chest, basically. Gotcha. And you own a, a, a fraction of that. And, you know, you vote as a community on, you know, what what you guys buy next, what you sell, uh, so on and so forth. So okay. fractional ownership, you can you can leverage it um, of, of an NFT. And at some point, you'll probably even be able to use an NFT as collateral once it becomes like widely. That's my question. That's yeah. a good point. If that'll ever once happen. it becomes widely known, what because I mean, right now you go in a room of a hundred people and you ask them all, "What's an NFT?" How many do you think are going to know what that is? Yeah, that's exactly why we're here. <laughs> There's going to come a point in time where everyone's going to know what an NFT is. So when that happens, I think a lot more creative use cases are going to come out of it, and a lot more. Um, you know, you'll be able to do a lot more. That, that sounds like a catalyst. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like in your, in your mind, what do you feel like would be the greatest catalyst in the future for this market or for this, this space? Like, what do you think would drive the market through, to, you know, through the roof, take it to the moon? Just more people knowing about it. More people knowing. I mean, the Coinbase thing is really big. Yeah. Um, Coinbase introduced like NFTs as like their, their users will be able to buy, sell NFTs through Coinbase. So that's like, I don't know how many million users they got, but that's going to be a bunch of people getting pumped into this market that are like, holy shit, what do we do? You know, so they're going to be able Sounds, to... It reminds me of like Bitcoin adoption. Yeah. yeah. You know, like people thought it was ridiculous. It's not going to work. You know, mm-hmm. this is stupid. You can't have a currency that doesn't mean anything. It's fucking digital currency, blah, blah, blah. And now everybody's fucking laughing their way to the bank. You yeah, know? when it got to 10K, people were like, oh, this is this is going to come down. This is going to come crashing down. And everyone was like, oh, this is this is the top. This is the top. Look where it's at now. It'll probably keep going up over time. Gotcha. Can it crash? Yeah, possibly. Anything can crash, but uh, you kind of run that risk with just about anything, even real estate. Yeah, it probably won't. Real estate probably won't ever go to zero, but, um, you know. It'll go down. Yeah, it can go down. Well, I think as far as uh, uh, questions that I had for you in the space, you had you know answered a lot of them brilliantly. I gotta really say thank you. I appreciate you thank you know you getting into all me. that, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. We always like to end kind of at the end of the segment. We've got a, you know, five ten minutes left here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had any questions for us, if there's anything you wanted to talk about outside of you know the NFT space or sports betting or yeah, what's the next step for you guys? Mm. Besides the Kong, <laughs> Cyber Kong, Cyber Kongs, <laughs> bananas. I need more bananas. <laughs> you're you're not in Florida, right? I'm in Orlando. Oh, yeah. you're in Orlando. So are you guys, you're planning on staying there? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to stay there for sure. I don't love Orlando, to be honest with you. It's not like my dream place to stay. It's a fucking swamp. It's 900 <laughs> degrees every day. It's traffic's out the ass. Oh, three months of the year. No, all year. <laughs> all fucking year it's like that. It's, it's, it's horrible. I'm not a big fan of the place, but as far as our business goes, it's, it's a great place for business. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of tourism there. Um, I don't think I can go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. But as far as like what's next for us, yeah, I think that's a question we've been asking ourselves a lot lately. And I think, I don't want to speak for Marshall, but I, I know that this is kind of what we've been talking about, is just taking what we know about mm-hmm. business now and figuring out who else can we help. 
Yeah. Like what other businesses can we get involved in where like we, we talked earlier, like the same principles about partnership and understanding yourselves and your, your business model and mm-hmm. adaptability, all these things. I don't I don't feel like everybody knows this or if they know it, they don't know how to apply it. Yeah. yeah. And I think we got into business, obviously, to, to, you know, create financial stability for ourselves. But I'm sure as you're experiencing at a certain point, like nothing really starts to excite you anymore about the, that particular industry. You lose that excitement. But you're still in it because it's it's. You you'd be stupid to leave it, right? And so now it's about like, what can we do to take those principles mm-hmm. and apply them to other places and see other people's lives increase and improve? Well, you know? Yeah, uh, to, I mean, to be specific on on an industry or projects, um, I'm not I'm not going to say specifics yet because there's uh, nothing's inked on paper yet. But we'd be looking at getting involved in the uh, the sign industry on a national level. Um, but over Sign? signs, yeah, like a sign company. Like, like billboards, like producing like, and selling, like, and like overhead signage over a store, like oh in, nice, yeah, and interior uh, digital signs on inside. My uncle in New Zealand has been making neon signs for yeah. years. He made all the signs for Subway in New Zealand back back yeah. in the day. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah, that's cool. that, that could be something that uh, we'll be dropping soon. But yeah, and and you know. A big part of why we're wanting to do this podcast is to you know, create a better community of people that are mm-hmm. um, interested in kind of just like the counterculture of traditional businessmen. Sure. Because a lot of people like like yourself, you went to school, got a great degree, you know, went out there, busted your ass, shit just didn't pan out. Yeah. And it wasn't until you went your own way that things blew up for you. And, you know, we want to figure out how do we provide that opportunity for folks. Yep. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to come from within, too. Sure. You've got to go from failure to the next thing without you know losing motivation and that can be hard at times you know um you know you don't succeed in something you get down but you just got to pick yourself back up and be okay with trying new things um if i didn't go to orlando to do solar god knows if we would even be selling uh you know betting sports now um so um you know trying new things and just it's okay if something doesn't pan out or if it's not for you you just keep just yeah. keep going and do different things until you find something that doesn't feel like work and you actually enjoy doing. Yeah. Like we yeah. do this eighty hours a week, and yeah. I love it honestly. Yeah, we're actually holding you. You've got a couple minutes left to get back to work, which is it's you know it's a crazy thing. I just I, and I want to touch on that for a second. It's so crazy to me because a lot of people feel like there's a certain level of success that once you re- reach it, you're just fucking traveling all year and you're just hanging out in your uh-huh. Bugatti mm-hmm. and you're fucking taking your PJ back and forth. Everything's great. Like. They don't realize, like, even when you've made it, if you want to stay there... It's a lot of grinding. you got to keep fucking hustling. Yeah, because someone else could knock you off your spot. And someone else that's hungrier than you. So you got to be hungry for sure. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the, like, the, what you're doing is a testament to that. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that you're just... You're jumping off this, this podcast and you're going right back to work. And, yeah, yeah, one of the things I learned very early, actually, when we started betting sports is... is a lot of the times in any business too, people underestimate the amount of work that is necessary to mm, to become yeah. successful. I agree. They think that you know you could just work your forty hours a week and and you'll just make it. And that's yeah, it can possibly happen, but it's rare. Like you have to really like we immersed ourselves into this for two straight two three years, and like we didn't take any money from betting sports for like a year and a half, two years. I was literally living off credit cards for. The first couple of years and yeah. just we know like you go from having 10 grand and then now you have six figures and you're like fuck i just want to relax and just you know sit on the couch and watch sports but like if you do that you're just kind of like taking your foot off the gas you just yep. got to keep your foot on the gas and just keep going um and then once you hit success obviously there's other challenges in life that come 
you know, with then the it's success. Like, yeah, because yeah, you reach success, you make money, you make more money than you're gonna need, and then you're like, okay, now what's next? Like, what's, you know, what's the purpose now? Like, what do I do now? And that's a whole different, you know, thing to think about, and you know, and finding happiness and shit like that. Yeah, we could spend, and we should spend. Actually, I'd love to get you back on this sometime. Spend yeah. some some time, you know, having conversations about that, and and. I'm still trying to figure all that stuff out. So once <laughs> once I do, I'll... no, but this is the thing is I think collectively you know conversations like this are what lead us to that direction yeah i yeah. mean i think if you if you knew what you wanted to do next you'd already be on the on the you know plane yeah. doing it you know so it's yeah. like i think conversations like this with business people are need to happen more often i think a lot of us in our independent sectors we feel like we can't learn from people who are outside of our industry but i've learned a ton mm-hmm. today just from picking your brain on stuff that sure. i had no idea what the fuck even but it's existed. funny because I, I thought i'd come in here because we're so close that we'd be doing all the talking but then I, all of this i've known for so long like we've had similar conversations mm-hmm. over the years, so I just sat back and watched <laughs> you, watch you be genuinely interested in all this the same conversations yeah, that sorry, I've had sorry, in the past. No, you. you're fine. <laughs> well, you're fine. It, it, it's cool the, to watch. Yeah, the purpose of this was I know, and and uh, there there was a lot of folks that you know have been asking me. I know they've been asking you yeah. about like what the fuck are you guys doing in this space? And What's what a sub duck? We don't yeah. fucking Why know. Why are you so obnoxious with the ducks? You. Yeah. <laughs> um, to 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 kind of finish up here. Um, I know before we got on the podcast, you were talking about, you know, your sports betting business that, you know, are you currently looking for partnerships at all? Are you looking for people to kind of affiliate or be interested in working with your business? And, and if so, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, we definitely have a lot of people that we work with, a lot of guys that want to make money with us in the betting side of things. Um, there's different ways that we can partner up with people on that. Um, the best way to get in contact with me if someone's interested uh, in making money on the sports betting side of things will First, I'll say that we don't sell picks at all. We work with people together and we bet. Um, we're strictly just betters. We don't sell it. You know, I'm, I don't. I don't sell the system. Yeah. I run the system. Yeah. You're not um, selling like a business in a box, is what you're yeah. saying. Like, yeah. Exactly. So um, probably the best way for people to get in contact with me is via Twitter. That's the main social media uh, uh, platform that we use because it's really the where sports betting and NFTs, happens. everything happens there. Okay. So probably the best place to reach me if someone has any questions or wants to, you know, ask anything is is on Twitter and my handle is at Armenian Better, um, and you know just send me a DM. Awesome. I'm pretty I'm pretty good about answering those on a daily basis. Fantastic. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us. Thank we you really for having me. Great thank conversation. Yeah. And uh, really we look good. forward to uh, meeting up and talking with you soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you.